Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your bonus lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to explore how you think COVID-19 will change education. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Kwame Sarfo Mensa, owner and founder of Identity Talk Consulting. I chose to air a bonus episode in addition to Kwame's full-length interview about teacher identity for two reasons. One, I thought his insights were worth sharing. And two, I liked the idea of creating a record of how COVID-19 has been changing the ways teachers view education. I spoke with Charles Williams at the end of March about this issue for an entire episode, and then spoke to Kwame a little over a month later. In that time, almost all districts have switched to a distance education model with mixed results. Moreover, Other parents are seeing their children bloom in a situation where they don't need to face the racism, homophobia, or ableism that they are forced to deal with daily. Another important change is that larger issues of equity in education have been highlighted publicly and sparked mainstream conversations about how learning opportunities are distributed. Many districts seem to be waking up to the fact that just because all students enter the same building every day, does not mean that every one of them has equal access to technology, the internet, and time to try and replicate the school experience at home. Not to mention the 1.3 million American students who experience periods of unstable housing. All of this to say, we are having more productive national and international conversations about education than I ever thought possible. And stakeholders like parents are looking critically at our education systems now that many of its faults have been exposed. This is not to imply that there are not amazing teachers and districts that are doing wonderful things, and I do want to acknowledge their incredibly hard work. However, unless we're willing to call out the places where we're failing our students, there's no way we can change. This excerpt from our conversation begins around the 24-minute mark of episode 20. That's always my question when I, I talk to anybody about the inequities in the school system is that it, you know, the classic question, like, can we change it from the inside or do we just need to burn it down and start again? (laughs) Well, that's pretty much the premise of my book from an action to an action. So we think about inaction, right? To be inactive is to, in this context, be indifferent, uh, to have despair, to commiserate, to have a sense of hopelessness about what is or isn't possible within our system because you've been in it for so long, you just feel like no matter what you say, your voice doesn't have power. So how do we go from that state into a state of inaction where we separate the in, the prefix in, from the word action and start being proactive in how we advocate for our schools and our students and and our families? in the different communities we serve. So I think to answer your question, obviously we've tried to do things internally and that hasn't really worked out for us. 
So we do need to take a more radical approach. So in order for us to really fix the issues, we'd have to revamp the system. We have to revamp it. I talked to another um, a principal, Charles Williams, in Chicago, and we were talking about how now with the COVID-19, like now is the time to seize upon where, you know, it, the, it has been burnt down. So let's build it back up the right way. And something that I'm seeing a lot of on social media is parents and teachers, now that a lot of these structures are pulled away, they're able to, in their homeschooling experience, bring in more, like we were talking about, like African-American history when they're talking with their kids. They're looking at the textbook chapters and they're going, okay, I guess that's what we'll talk about, but we're going to take a lens that is more relevant to us. And I hope that when we go back, we're able to at least take some, I mean, I'm always so worried because systems love being systems and they're so hard to change, but that we're able to take a little bit, if not all of that back with us. It's so funny you mentioned this because I was having this conversation with a friend of mine a few days ago. And the question was, once we get past this COVID quarantine um, phase and schools are getting back in session, are we going to revert back to our old ways of teaching? Are we going to practice more of a blended learning model where we do in te- where we do integrate technology and these other innovative forms of instruction? I think theoretically that's what should happen. But here's the thing that has really shocked me in all this is the fact that We've we've had to force the district's hand to give out technology, particularly in the urban school systems where for many years, students of color, students in Title I schools who are teetering or below the poverty line cannot get the access to the technology they need to advance their education. And all of a sudden, we have this breakout this outbreak and we're able to dish out thousands of Chromebooks to to different students. <laughs> Where were they all this time? That's the question that <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. All of a sudden you have it and it makes you wonder. We 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 force it hand. You've had it the whole time. You just decide, okay, let's just give it to them now. They they really need it. But it's like, even when, we, even when COVID wasn't going on, why weren't the kids getting these Chromebooks before that if they were always available? I just hope that this situation has really opened the eyes of stakeholders, particularly parents. I think before this happened, uh, and I'm speaking in generality, right? I think parents just didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. They just kind of took their, brought their kids to school and said, you know what? They get education. They're in a safe space. I don't have to think about that because their teachers are there to, to do that, to educate them. So that's out of my hands. 
I'll deal with them when they get home. But now they're with you all day. And they're probably going to be, they're going to be with you all day for the foreseeable future. Because as I'm looking at the news headlines, more and more states are closing schools for the rest of the year. So now the question becomes, well, how do we continue to ensure that kids are, are still growing academically? How do we keep their education going during this time of uncertainty? And I think, too, there's the curtains being pulled back on what that education looks like. You know, when I and this might be a little harsh, but when I see people talking about being, you know, being worried about sending work home because they're afraid that parents are going to see it and judge it, it really makes me think like, well, if you think that there's going to be an issue because a parent finally sees what you're doing in the classroom, you should have been doing something different all along. Like now that people have eyes on you, now you're starting to think like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. That maybe what I'm doing is not equitable. Maybe what I'm doing is clearly biased. And it's only once parents have a, a gander at what you're doing that that makes you want to change it. That I think has been very frustrating. No, you're you're absolutely right. Parents, they want to know that their kids are being educated, at least the ones who are uh paying attention. They 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 expect they expect quality as they should. And, and I think quite frankly, we need more parents to expect that from from educators in schools. The reason why schools get away with things is because parents aren't always checking up on those schools. They're assuming that the schools are doing what they need to do already. Or the schools make it so inhospitable for those parents to feel like they have agency or a right to criticize. Absolutely. Which then goes back to this idea of uh, this lack of empowerment that we see in, in uh, parents whether it's with the special education process. I don't understand what all these words are. I just know that my kid needs an IEP. So whatever the teacher says, I'm just going to trust that they know what they're talking about, even though I don't know what it means by, you know, self-contained instruction every day. Like, I don't understand what that means, but you know what? I trust the teacher. So I'm just going to nod my head and say, okay, I'll sign off on it. Without really knowing what they're signed off on. You know, you have a lot of that that goes on um, in education. And quite frankly, that's part of the reason why we are in this situation right now, because we didn't know what we we didn't know we didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really hope that parents and community members step up and say, you know what, we need education to be different for our children um, in our schools. So there you have it, Kwame Sarko Mensah with the ways he hopes that education will change due to COVID-19. Hopefully I can continue to interview educators on this topic in an attempt to document our changing perspectives. If you want to find out more about what innovative educators are doing around the world, check out LessonImpossible.com. And if you like the podcast, 
please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing. A big thank you to my Russian listeners who got me to number three on the education how-to chart. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin.